I come in here every um, every Saturday afternoon just to spend some time alone in here. Pray for you guys. Pray that somebody will show up. <laughs> and most of all, that the Holy Spirit will show up. And yesterday... He started giving me so many things to say to you and to myself that I had to start jotting them down. I had to run up to the office, get my little pad, and start jotting the things down. I don't know even how much sense this makes. But uh, when Ashley... I'm so glad you're a Wilson. <laughs> when, when Ashley used the scripture, taste and see that the Lord is good. And that was one of the scriptures that he'd given me yesterday. I felt like I probably needed to share some of these things. See, I think the greatest danger to our faith may be our security in worship. You know what I mean by that? We always have announcements, and then we have four songs. And then we have four songs, and we have a message. And then we have a message, and we have communion. We have communion, and then we go home and eat. And it's that way virtually every week. Sometimes I try to change it up, but we are a traditional church, whether we like it or not. We may call ourselves contemporary, but we are very tradition-oriented. And I wondered, as we were singing today, if the very presence of God was lifted from the earth altogether, would Renovation Church go on as usual? And I hope I pray that if his presence is not here, we just go on. Because honestly, I have nothing to say to you. The music's good, but it's not that good. If his presence was lifted, taken away, taken off the earth entirely, would our lives be? Proverbs 18, 14 says, Who can bear a broken heart, a broken spirit, it says in some. Your soul, your will, your emotion, your body, your spirit. And we're told that God must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Both. Equally. Hopefully we don't get out of kilter on either, either end of that. Jesus said, deliver us from, it's translated evil, but it's really the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. And I think every time we get ready to come in here, the evil one attacks us. He attacks our spirit. 
he wants us, as we're doing this time of praise, to hesitate. He wants us to cower. He wants us to sit on our hands instead of raising holy hands in praise. He wants us to look around and think, what would the other people think about me if I'm raising my hands? Or if I fall on my face right here in front of this whole place, what would they think about me? The evil one wants us to hold back. He wants us to be reserved. He wants us to be the frozen chosen. If you come here today having a broken spirit, I've already talked to quite a few <laughs> that have had some difficulties this week. Broken spirits abound here this morning. And the Spirit of God, the whole reason that we do this praise time, the Spirit of God has to penetrate our hearts. That's how we can begin to bear a broken spirit. So I would ask her, are you a fair weather worshiper? Or are you an I will worshiper? All in. You see, praise is where we take the ordinary and make it special. Not we. He. He makes it special. And once you taste of it and see that it's good, I don't think you'll ever want to go back. I just can't imagine praising God as I praised God when I was a little child. Praise is the one thing that we do for God that God cannot do for himself. That's why we're here this morning, to praise him, to praise him. We get excited at a ball game. Why can't we get excited about our Lord? So come, Holy Spirit, invade this place. Excite us. Move us, challenge us, kick us in the rear end, show up in a powerful way, and let your presence be known here today. Moses said, if your presence leaves me, I'm, I won't go. I can't go unless your presence goes. that we would be an entirely different church without the Holy Spirit. We're in a uh, series this summer that we're calling The Power of Forgiveness. And we're looking now at forgiving others. How do you forgive others? How do I forgive other people? I want you to personalize that. So how do I forgive other people? 
we've talked about God forgiving us. We've talked about us forgiving ourselves. And last week we started with uh, this idea of forgiving others. And our, I told you our key verse for this whole uh, session on how do we forgive others is Ephesians 4.32. It's in your handouts, I'm sure. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. That's the verse that we're going to use throughout this whole thing. First, I have a couple of announcements for you. And I think they're rather important announcements. The first one has to do with our renovation kids, the, right over there in, the, in that part of the building that you never see. Maybe you ought to um, make an appointment and go see those people one time and see what happens over next door. They do all kinds of wonderful things. They have wonderful leadership. The kids are excited, but they're learning, and that's the important thing. And one of the things that they learn, because we are pretty much a mission-minded church here, one of the things that they learn is about missions. And they learn to give of themselves for missions. Now, it's tough for them, little 10-year-olds, to go on a mission trip somewhere. Our group is coming back from Costa Rica now. They're, they're traveling on the roads this morning to San Jose, Costa Rica, and they'll leave there tomorrow morning bright and early. But they finished up their week, and I can't wait to see what they're going to say. But our kids have caught that. They've caught that spirit of missions. And over the course of time, they've taken up some money. And they decided that they wanted to use that money to send to Samaritan's Purse, the Franklin Graham organization, who has a, a, a project or multiple projects where they offer clean water to people in countries that don't have clean water. Some of it might be spent drilling a well, but others are to provide some of these wonderful devices that have come out that are filters that you can use with any water, and it'll filter all the impurities out, and then the family can have perfect drinking water. I think it's important that, that you know that our kids, pennies, nickels, dimes, quarters, earned $912 Actually, this check says nine twelve. They earned that we found four more dollars. They earned nine hundred sixteen dollars. Is what we said. So, if you see some of the people in orange outfits, like Christy Gill down here in her orange T-shirt, how about hugging her neck and saying thank you, and, and just uh, let them know how much we appreciate what they do with our kids. You know that we have a ministry over at J. Reuben Long to, to some of the prisoners. We take Alpha over there to them. And I, I guess this is the third course that we've run, maybe even the fourth course that we've run. And a couple of weeks ago, there was a mix-up, and they forgot to tell us that uh, we weren't, no volunteers were going to be able to come and do programs that week. Matter of fact, Andy had called and, and asked special, uh, especially are we supposed to show up Friday? Oh, yeah, 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 be there. Well, it's not just us showing up because we have people that get up bright and early in the morning, 4 o'clock, and 
cook food that we take over to the prisoners and serve to them uh, on those Friday mornings. Eat here about 7, get back about 11, and do the Alpha course for them. And this one week, we were not able to get in. And sometimes you wonder whether or not we're making any head roads over there at all. Any inroads, I should say, at all. But I got this letter from one of the guys in Mike LaCoy's group in my group. And it says, does Pastor George, Andy, and Mike thank you for the never-ending will to come and teach the Alpha course as a, as, as a community we felt that what the jail did this past Friday was a really, and they use kind of strange words, crappy move, <laughs> and to show our appreciation for the money and time spent preparing the food and not being allowed to come and spread the message, we felt it necessary to show appreciation this way by sending you a letter. Again, thank you for what you do as it is appreciated greatly. Looking forward to picking back up after Memorial Day. Again, sorry for whoever was responsible for the <laughs> lack of communication. Uh, that was very inconsiderate of them. This is one of these hard, tough, you know, guys that we're dealing with in prison. Uh, we love them. They love us. We have just a great time with them. And uh, if I wish Andy were here. He's in, coming back from Costa Rica. But talk to him about the possibilities, if you're a gentleman particularly, of getting involved with prison alpha ministry. We're always looking for another guy or two to go with us. We're always looking for people that can be added to the group of folks that would cook or serve. Now, there's training and there's background checks and all that sort of stuff that we have to go through. But it can, it can be done. The third thing is this. We are a vineyard church now. And um, Vineyard is holding a conference in Virginia Beach, July the 12th through the 14th of this year. And there's some brochures that look like this that are over on the info counter. All of you are invited. I just had um, lunch this past Wednesday with our area director. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, it's open to the entire congregation. We'd love for them to come. So if you would like to come uh, to that conference, pick up a brochure, let me know, and we'll make sure that we, um, we have a spot for you. And I think the hotel rooms are going fast, so we need to make sure that you have a hotel room, too. That's refresh. And the last thing is the core values and beliefs from Vineyard which happened to be our core values and beliefs to the T, even before, even before we joined Vineyard. That's one of the reasons we joined Vineyard was because of, of our lining up of core values and beliefs. These are on the info counter as well. Gosh, I think that's all the announcements. I, I hate that. I was going to do them last week, but we just didn't have time. Okay. To talk about what forgiving others is, I have to talk about what forgiving others is not. And I filled in some blanks there in, on your outline, your handout, and I'll go through these real quickly because these are points that we've covered in the past. Forgiving others is not justifying their actions. 
not saying, oh, that's okay, that's okay. You were under a lot of stress, I understand. Forgiving others is not trusting the passage of time. Just sitting there and hoping that enough time will pass that everything will be hunky-dory. And it doesn't work that way. Forgiving others is not denying that you are hurt. Not saying, oh, I, you know, it, that's okay, it didn't bother me. I'm, I'm perfectly okay. Uh, we guys do that all the time. But that's one of the things that forgiveness is not. And forgiving others is not confronting them personally. You, if you're forgiving them, it doesn't mean you go up and grab them by the collar and shake them. Say, listen, listen, you need to to uh, tell me you're sorry right now, and I need to forgive you. So what does it really mean to forgive others? How can you forgive others just as God has forgiven you? As we saw last week in the, in the Lord's Prayer, uh, there's that passage about uh, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And that becomes becomes powerful when we think of it in those terms. Am I forgiving other people as I have been forgiven by God? So we began to look at a biblical process. We only have time for one item last week. The first uh, step in this biblical process for forgiveness is remember how much I've been forgiven. We had an exercise. We took some time, about three minutes of time, where I asked you to just think, just meditate on how much God has forgiven you. I heard after the service some wonderful comments from some of you, so I know you were pondering that. You have a picture in your mind, I think, and you begin to play that tape of how a person has hurt you. Maybe it was a lover, maybe it was a spouse that has hurt you. Maybe it was a parent abused you or molested you. Perhaps it was a friend that betrayed you. Perhaps it was someone at work who unjustly criticized you. And I told you that whoever that might be, whoever that person is that comes to mind, what we're talking about regarding that person and you is a very personal issue with you. Very personal. So how do you personally forgive others? That's the question that we're looking at. So whether you were with us last week or not, I want you to think right now of someone that you need to forgive. Somebody that you need to forgive. And then think as we get through this process, think about how you can apply this process to that forgiveness. The first step, remember, was uh, the first step was to remember how much I have been forgiven by God. The second step in the biblical process for forgiveness is this. Release the person entirely. Release the person entirely. That's the person that you're thinking about in your mind. Release them entirely. Now, what do I mean by release them entirely? I mean to fully let it go. Just to fully let it go. To drop whatever grudge you have against them. You see, to 
Release a person means that you don't have to confront them. We talked about that a little bit last week. You don't have to, you don't have to repair or reconcile with them. Because releasing is all about your decision. It's, it's what you do. It's not what they do. It's what you do. So it's really all on your shoulders. You don't even have to be in a conversation with the other person to release them. You know what? They could even be dead, and you can release them. You can choose to release anybody who has hurt you. You see, forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is always a choice. It's not an emotion. It's not how I feel. It's a choice that I make. My choice. Your choice. And in this step of the process, you make the choice to forgive them. And when you make that choice, you know what? Tremendous freedom becomes yours. It's like somebody's taking a weight off of your shoulders. Now, a lot of you, instead of releasing a person, are holding a grudge against that person and have been for quite a while. Do you know that holding a grudge is like drinking poison and hoping that the other person dies? That's what holding a grudge is like. Have you ever done that? Have you ever held a grudge against someone? Today, are you ready to release that person? Do you want to walk out of here today free and experiencing all the joy that God wants to give you when you forgive other people? Do you? I'm going to give you a couple of practical ways that you can release a person entirely. Um, these are not all my own contriving. Um, this is a very helpful book. It's called The Gift of Forgiveness, and it's by Charles Stanley. If you haven't read it and forgiveness is one of your issues, this might be a good read for you. Some great stuff in here. But for particularly in this area of forgiving others, uh, I, I've used some of Charles Stanley's stuff and then I've added some other stuff to it. We have, we have copies of these. I bought four, I think, of them this week. And they're over on the info counter. If you would like to, to have one, you can, you can get it. I think they're $13 for the book and the freight. If you want to give $100, that would be fine. And I'll give the rest of the money to Nepal Ministry or something. You know? They'll go to missions. Uh, but $13 over there. These are not necessarily biblical ways, but they're not necessarily anti-biblical ways either. There's, there's some ways that psychologists have given us to use in order to release a person. So here's the first one. And I think in your little packets this morning, you were given an envelope. And this is what that envelope is for. We weren't absolutely you can take out a piece of paper and you can sit down and you can write a letter to that person who has offended you. You can say how much they've hurt you. You can say how you felt. 
You can say all that stuff back to them that you've wanted to say and just haven't had the chance to do it. You can write it all down, but at the end of that letter, this is what I want you to do. I want you to say their name. I release you. And say their name again. I'm setting you free. And say their name again and say, I no longer hold this, you fill in the blank, whatever it is, grudge, against you. And then take that letter and fold it and put it back in the envelope and never mail it. Never mail it. Put it in a drawer somewhere. Or some psychologists say burn it. Burn it. Just so it's burned up. It's your release papers. It's your freedom. It's your ticket to freedom. As silly as that sounds, I know that that's a silly little exercise, but it works. It's worked for many people. It's worked for some of you in here when we've done this exercise before, years ago. It will work whether the person is dead or alive. It's particularly a good method if if the person that has hurt you is a parent that has died, a sibling that has died, and you can't possibly talk to them face to face, write it down on the letter and do this. It will set you free. Because there's something about taking action on what we're talking about that works. Now, the second way is to Write another kind of letter. You can use the stuff that I gave you. One that says, again, I release you. I'm setting you free. I'm no, I no longer hold this whatever grudge it is against you. You can tell them how you feel, how it hurt you. You can do all that. This time you mail it. If it's a person you think you could mail it to. Not out of bitterness not trying to get even, not trying to hurt them back, just to kind of lay it out there. I, I honestly forgive you. I'm sorry that it ever happened. I'm sorry that I feel this way even. But. And mail it. Or if you bring it back next week, addressed and, and sealed and put it in the baskets up here at the front, I will mail it for you. I'll put a stamp on it and mail it for you. I won't open it. I'm, that's not part of this exercise. I'll just make sure it gets sent so that you don't have to have a return address on it if you don't want to. The third thing, the third way uh, that some psychologist teaches is you can sit down with an imaginary person and have an imaginary conversation in your room. I don't suggest you do this on the beach. <laughs> or in the park on a bench. Pull up a chair. Pretend that the person is in that chair, knee-to-knee, toe-to-toe, and have this conversation with them. Tell them those things. An imaginary kind of dialogue which allows you to release them entirely. This one works for a lot of people. And yet other psychologists teach us that you can take a picture of the person who's harmed you. You can have a conversation with that picture. 
And sometimes you might even find it helpful to illustrate your feelings. You know, somebody may offend you, like, like Jay Ortiz. But you take out a Sharpie like this, and as you're talking to him, you give him, give him a unibrow. Or you can draw some glasses on him. How about that? You look good in glasses, Jay. Or if you're really mad at him, draw some horns. That's who he reminds you of. Or <laughs> this one. Make him a pirate. Arr! Whatever it takes to get back at that person on the picture. On the picture. Get those feelings out. That's seriously. <laughs> this process of setting someone free, of, of releasing them, is so key to your freedom. The freedom that God wants you to experience in forgiveness. He's the one that allows this to happen. What you're really saying is, I'm releasing my rights. Well, what rights am I releasing? What rights am I releasing? First, you're releasing the right to repayment. Repayment. When somebody harms us these days, we think that they're now in debt to us because they harmed us and they owe us something. Even if they go to prison or something, we still feel like personally they owe us something. They have to repay us for the wrong they've done. And when you release the right to repayment, you're saying that person no longer owes me anything. I'm releasing them completely from any debt that I might have thought they had. Secondly, you're releasing your right to revenge. Your right to revenge. When someone harms us, I mean, it's just natural, isn't it? Human nature for us to want to get revenge. Take it out on them. You want to have that conversation with them without the picture. You want to let them have it in the alleyway in the back of the building. You want to go at it with them, with everything that you've got. But when you fully release them, you're saying, look, I no longer seek revenge. I don't want revenge. Let me tell you a little secret. Revenge isn't your job anyway. Amen. It's not your job. Romans 12 says this in verse 17. <clears throat> Never pay back evil with evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. 
God will take care of that. Don't you worry about it. And when it comes to this issue of release, you can either release them once and be done with it for the rest of your life, feel that freedom, or you can replay that episode of pain for the rest of your life. Either release or replay. And you, my friend, you have the choice. Forgiveness is a choice. Wow. Releasing the person it's the most difficult step in, I think, of this whole process we're going to talk about. But it's probably the biggest step as well. So once you take that step of releasing them, then you're ready for step number three, which is recognize God's purpose in the process. Recognize God's purpose in the process. If you think about it, the reality is that this has to be step number three. You can't recognize God's purpose in the process until you first release the person. If you try to do it in reverse, it leads to all kinds of confusion. I, I know some of you have tried that because you've told me. Some of you have said, God, if, if you will show me your purpose for this pain and this hurt, then I will be able to release them. But that's not how it works. That's not what God wants to do. God says, no, you have to release them first. You have to take the action that only you can take first. And it's only after that, after you release someone, that then you will have the freedom to understand what my purpose is. And we ask why. When you're holding a grudge, you're separating yourself from God and He can't speak to you properly. And when you release that person, you not only release them, but you have opened the doors of that communication, of that relationship between you and God once again. And now, He can teach you. And then He can show you what His purpose is for this pain. There's a verse, and it's in your handout, and we've looked at it, I don't know how many times before. It's probably my favorite verse in the Bible, but it's also one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible when it comes to this area of forgiveness particularly. Romans 8, 28. I think it's often abused by people uh, when something goes wrong. Because a lot, of, a lot of people think that this verse says all things are but actually what the verse says is God works all things together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. I think this verse is very important to our understanding of God's purpose in this process of forgiveness. Not all things are good. The Bible never says that all things are good. I mean, listen, the, the hurt that you've experienced in the past, that's not good. 
the molestation that you've experienced in the past. That's not good. The mental and verbal and physical abuse that you may have gone through in the past, that's not good. The pain that you've gone through and the suffering that you've gone through, that's not good either. This verse doesn't say that God says all things are good because God never says that. God understands that we live in a broken, sinful world. We call it an already, not yet world. And when we're in that world, things happen. And if we don't understand this, it becomes so tempting for us to blame God, doesn't it? Why, why did you do this? God, why did you let this happen? What did I do that you made this happen to me? I mean, why can't we just say, it's bad? This is bad, it happened. Let's release that person. And then when you do, God says, I can miraculously bring good out of that bad situation. Watch me. God does that over and over and over again. God brings good out of bad situations. God turns crucifixions into resurrections. That's the kind of miracle he can perform. Even in the early chapters of the Bible, God begins to teach us this principle. And if you go back to the first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, you find that in the last four chapters, 47 through 50, that God is really teaching us through a story of how he can bring out good, even for evil. It's the story of Joseph. Some of you know that story. Joseph's just a, a child, not, a, not even a teenager. He's out in the desert playing with his brothers. And a band of thieves comes along. The brothers have this idea of selling their brother into slavery. I have said it. I did. It crossed my mind a couple of times. Uh, and that's what they do. They take their brother, they give him to the thieves, and they take the money and pocket it. And then when they get back home to their dad, what are they going to say? Well, they say, oh, dad, you aren't going to believe this. You aren't going to believe this. Joseph fell into a well, or he was eaten by animals. You see, here's his cloak that he had on. And Joseph's story eventually goes from bad to worse. And he ends up in a pit in a prison. And there in that prison, he begins to interpret dreams. And because of that, he begins to rise to power. And out of that bad situation, some good things begin to happen in Joseph's life. We aren't told directly in Scripture, but over the course of time, Joseph begins to let go of this grudge that he's holding against his brother. And because of that new uh, freedom that he's experienced, he continues to rise in power until in Egypt he is the right-hand man of the Pharaoh. And as fate would have it, Israel, where he was from, where his family still lives, Israel fell into some hard times and a famine came into the land. And they decided to send some emissaries down to Egypt 
because Egypt had plenty of food. And guess who they sent? His brothers. So from Israel, Joseph's brothers come, come over to beg for food down in Egypt. And here they are sitting before Pharaoh's right-hand man, who just happens to be their little brother. And he recognized them, and he had long before already released them. It takes a while for them to recognize who he is. But when they do, something very interesting happens in chapter 50. Uh, it's in verse uh, 19 that begins. They've got to be afraid. Here we are before Joseph, and you know what we've done to Joseph. And oh my goodness, he has all the power in Egypt. Oh my goodness. But Joseph told them, don't be afraid of me. Am I God to judge and punish you? As far as I'm concerned, God turned into good what you meant for evil. A miracle. Enough of a miracle that maybe you want to circle. God turned it into good in your hand out there. It doesn't say God called it good. It says God turned it that's the miracle of forgiveness. And when you and I release another person in the midst of that bad situation, whatever it might be, we can still recognize God's purpose. And he'll take something bad in your life and turn it into something good. Joseph recognized that. I trust that you will. I know that some of you here have gone through some tough things, tough stuff in your life. And I'm constantly amazed as a pastor to hear some of the horrible situations that people in our church and people in our community have gone through. And I know it does no good, but I want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry that people have harmed you, have hurt you. And I can't tell you, standing here today, what purpose God has, what he'll bring out of the situation. But I do know this. If you will follow this biblical process that we're talking about, God will bring good out of evil. He will turn into good something that someone else in your life has been full of bad. And I know this. God has God has this way of bringing ministry out of misery. He has this way of bringing purpose out of pain. He has this way of bringing healing out of the hurts we have. He loves to do that. That's the miracle of the biblical process of forgiveness. Releasing the person and then saying, what was your purpose in all of this? And then letting God 
first three steps. We have two more to look at next week. These first three steps are mandatory. You have to do them. You can't skip any of these steps. We'll take a look at the final two next week. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the stories that you tell us there that are more than just stories. They're recollections of things that you have done, ways that you have moved, ways that you have worked to bring good out of evil. Time and time and time again in the Bible. I thank you for the ones that are here this morning. I thank you for bringing them. God, I just pray that they would know if they are in a situation of, of hurt or shame or guilt or, or whatever caused by someone else, that they would be able to come to that point that they could forgive that person. But they can only do that with you. So God, invade their lives. Invade our lives. Show us that biblical process Help us to personalize it. I just wait, wait in anticipation to see how you're going to work, what you're going to do, how these letters are going to be received that are sent. 